You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. So the Hippocratic Oath deserves an update after 16 centuries. May I be so bold to suggest that? First, do no harm should really start with the profession itself, which is in dire straits. The only statistic I need to read is that 70% of the doctors do not want their kids to pursue medicine. Do I need to say more? When I was a kid, primary care was such a great model at a wide scope of practice that was allowed, generous pay, level playing field with hospital pricing, no corporate medicine really to speak of, House calls weren't uncommon. Dr. Howard Britton brought a leather medical satchel to my bedside when I had chicken pox and a candy cane. It was in those days of Dr. Marcus Welby when burnout wasn't a thing. Nobody feared physician shortages, suicide rates two times our veterans rate. Insurance was affordable with tiny copays or deductibles and those weren't even a word back then. In fact, you got lots of time with your PCP. Factory medicine was also not a thing. Direct primary care is a throwback to those happy days. That and ancillaries are a simple shift in a bad business model today, which transforms bottom lines and outcomes for primary care and healthcare in general. So are there other ways to stand out today by say, assuming the mantle of a thought leader in primary care? It's easier than you think. In fact, there's a formula. Our next guest, Robin Farman Farmayan, is the exact person to teach you how. She's a natural teacher, you'll find out in a second. She's a true global thought leader of the highest order in healthcare, and she's a very clear, concise speaker and happens to be a very nice person. I heard her first at Genius Network, and every talk since then, people tell me she's easily the standout in the speaking crowd, the best. So Robin, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Listen, we um, mostly have primary care physicians, hospitalists, uh, listening to this show, and we're really excited to have you because not only can you give us an insight on how to what the future of healthcare is going to look like, which will be on a later episode, but you also are going to teach a doctor, primary care physician, how to stand out and become a thought leader with a formula. Right? That's what your that's one of your purposes on earth. Exactly, and I really like to focus on the physicians and healthcare professionals, building them into thought leaders because I think it's so incredibly important. So you're one of those easily. Um, you spoke in 12 different countries. You've spoken pretty much on every main platform these physicians have heard of plus more. Um, you're doing some really interesting things with the future of medicine that we'll talk about in a later episode. But what problem are you trying to solve with creating more thought leaders and physician groups? Well, it's really about getting the patients and other healthcare professionals educated because it, it feels like education almost is just on medicine and not on the technology when you're talking to patients or other, or other doctors. And so I think it's really important for, for doctors to get up on stage or to write articles or to get videos out there 
that can really express their opinions on a something specific. And I'm not talking about talking about general, you know, get your flu shot or in general, you know, this is what cardiovascular disease looks like. I'm talking about having an actual opinion that that is going to change people's minds or behaviors. My son is going to be a full-fledged gastro in a couple more years. He's at a Harvard hospital as a resident now. He will be very excited to hear this interview because he trademarked and owns the website, The Gut Doctor. And the gut really is becoming a much more important part of our health. We're understanding it might even be the brain of our bodies. He is very smart, I think, in advance to start blogging about this, to linking to interesting articles for his future patients. So he's ahead of the power curve of becoming a thought leader. Um, what doctors would you consider the most important thought leaders today that are actually at in the treehouse that have accomplished what you're talking about? Oh, so there there are quite a few people like uh, Dr. Ronnie Geiger. He was uh, he's a physician and he's also in the world of startups. Uh, there are of course um, Dr. You know Scott Gottlieb. That look how how much he was able to reach people. That was amazing. Before he just stepped down from the FDA, he was able to reach patients and physicians alike with groundbreaking ideas and getting his news out there from the FDA. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. He was changing people's minds on Twitter. So Robin, is there going to be a thought leader in, let's say, pediatrics, a thought leader in podiatry? And let's just go down the alphabet. Or can we have multiple thought leaders in a community, in a, uh, uh, a vertical, in a specialist? Uh... There are no limits. And I talk about this whether you're inside of a company, a hospital, or a specialty like primary care or surgery of some kind. There is room for as many people who want to be thought leaders to be thought leaders. There is no limitations on content consumption. In the world of patients and other doctors, we spend our lives now reading about news, going to conferences, watching YouTube videos. These are our leisure activities. There's plenty of time and, uh, and articles to go around. The mess that's out there called podcasting slash blogging, there's just so much bad information out there and there's so much of it. How do you separate, the, how do you separate yourself as a thought leader, the wheat from the chaff to make sure that people are reading and uh, you're, you're attracting quality by writing quality? How do you stand out? Absolutely. Well, that's why I created the system and it is a step-by-step -step process. You can do it by the book, the workbook, or the online program. It's all the same system that will take you through a series of exercises that will help you differentiate yourself. Because as a physician, you probably did not take marketing and branding 101. I'm, I'm guessing you did not. You were taking much more important classes like biotechnology, right? <laughs> or, or just your, your you know, anatomy and medicine and, and that kind of thing. And so in the world of marketing and branding, this is just called your sales, like your hook, your sales hook or your differentiating factor. And in my book, I call that your fundamental truth. What do you believe that the vast majority of people out there either have never heard of or don't believe themselves? So uh, my son, no, my son, the gut doc, we'll call him. <clears throat> when he reads articles, he gets indignant. When he sees bad care, he gets indignant. So I think the start of thought leadership has to start with some type of, it's like a great comedian, they had a bad childhood. I think the thought leadership starts with you're indignant or upset or something's not right out there and you want to see it fixed or clarified. Is that part of it? Yep. 
Exactly. That is what I call start with why. And that is adopted from Simon Sinek. If you have seen him before, he was actually speaking at MGMA. Uh, that's one of the conferences, the Management Group Association um, conference that I spoke at last year. And he talks about the golden circle, start with why. People do not buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So when combined your why, why you do something, I saw this, this happen, or I got disenchanted, or my, um, my relative got sick, or, or whatever it is, you tie your why into your fundamental truth, which is that differentiating factor. This is why I believe X. And right there, that, that can set your, almost your entire platform, just those two, answering those two questions. So we know that maybe one out of 10 people listening might buy the workbook or get online and take your course and do the exercises. Why should they believe they, that's some sort of a guaranteed path towards thought leadership? Well, first of all, they can get my workbook for free. And I teach them why I give it away for free in the book, actually. But the workbook will, will take you through just the questions. It is all of the action items that you find at the end of the chapters. And it's just right there on my website, robinff.com. And if you answer those, uh, that really is your full platform. Because I take you through exercises of not only your why and your fundamental truth, but then coming up with your business model and your revenue streams. Because being a thought leader obviously does not pay the bills. What's paying your bills is by being a physician, right? Or, and by, uh, by practicing medicine and or consulting for companies or startups or, or giant tech companies. Because you can do that on the side, by the way, of practicing medicine. All of these companies need doctors and they're gonna find the ones who are thought leaders. Yes, you'll have no job security if you wanna work for the man and you're a doctor and you're a thought leader. And you can just consult for them and, and, or get advisory board stock from some early stage startups, right? I mean, this could be a nice little lucrative side for you, but you need to understand your business model and your revenue streams because those are your customers and those are your avatars. Why are you doing what you're doing? Who is your audience, right? And I take you through a basic marketing type exercise, which is identifying your avatars. Now, first of all, you know, it goes down to what are their age range, what are their education level or their social economic status or their, uh, their gender or their, uh, are, are they patients? Are they sick? Are they uh, inside of your hospital, right? So you have to really understand who you're trying to reach because that is going to determine how you are going to write the articles or, you know, videos or what conferences you speak at. And that will also determine uh, essentially the, the language you use. Now you mentioned speaking next to death. I think public speaking. Most people would actually be prefer to be in the coffin than speaking at their um, funeral. Yes. Yeah. Most people would uh, are more scared. Yeah. The word business is going to terrify most doctors. But let's talk about public speaking. Do you have someone you can refer people to if they want to get past that ridiculous but serious fear? So I, I would have to tell you right away that 100% of us get stage fright. I have seen full-on sociopaths get on stage and, or, and right beforehand, they have basically a nervous breakdown because they have that much stage fright. This is not unique to you. Everybody has it. So I do go through a series of like 15 or 16 different things you can do to conquer stage fright. But I would tell you the single biggest thing to, to conquer stage fright is practice. And uh, for my very first talk that I did on the patient as CEO, I did a 25 minute talk and I practiced it 40 times before I got on stage, four zero. 
And not only that, but I went out with, with clear content that I had script writers helping with. I had high-end designers. I had a speaker coach who recorded me and showed me how I moved and how I phrased things and how they, she thought that the audience would react to that. So, I mean, I did a lot of training before I got album stage and did my very first talk. And by the time I got on stage, I was shaking, of course. Everybody shakes on their first talk. But my brain went into autopilot and I could put on a 25-minute performance without thinking about it. You know, most people see these TED Talks and they go, wow, what a poised speaker. What a sci I don't know scientists could be that calm. I don't know artists could be that relaxed. And they've done it 40 times with a trainer. And that's how they got it down so simply. And they work their way up the ladder to get to be that good. So I want to tell you, if you're getting a 25-minute talk, I know you, you pare it down to 25 minutes. You probably started with a much longer talk. But I've heard you speak before. It's meat and potatoes. There's not a lot of fluff in when, you're, when you are speaking. Yes, exactly. And I, I call that the back of the napkin method. And so you need to get your ideas down to the back of the napkin and details are the killers of good stories. So when I talk about diabetes or, or uh, some of the different things going on in the world of diabetes, I give you almost bullet points. And I don't give you any of the fluff on anything that doesn't really matter at that point in time. If you're more interested in what these different companies are doing, like Dexcom or something, you can look them up afterwards. But I'm not gonna give you when it was calibrated, you know, it's factory calibrated versus patient calibrated and the exact cost with insurance, you know, like those details don't matter at the time. So I think about when you were probably getting started in this thought leadership space, you maybe didn't have your message quite so clear and concise. How were you able to take this and break it down to a formula. Were you already in what I call the treehouse and you look backwards and say, well, here's all the steps on the ladder to get to there? Or did you sort of develop this along the way? Oh, no, no, no. I set a goal and I, every single step, every dollar I spent and every minute of time I spent on this was well mapped out. So I sat down about six years ago and created a five-year project plan for myself around becoming a professional speaker. Clear goal and then I delivered the path. Because that's what's missing in the world of thought leadership is if you want to be a doctor, you know exactly what you need to do to become a practicing doctor. You know this from the age of 16 and you start working on it at the age of 16 or 17. And by you know, your mid-20s, you are a full-on doctor and you're practicing, right? There's no path like that for thought leadership. So that's all I did is I created this project plan that, that gave you that exact same path that you took through medical school. These are the ways you need to spend money. These are the people you need to bring on board to educate you because you are not born out of the womb knowing how to speak on stage or speak in marketing language. These are skills. Everything about being a thought leader is a skill. And so I teach you exactly who you need to hire to help you gain those exact skills. Excellent. You have to have met some people that had like eight of the 10 right ingredients to become a thought leader. You really thought, man, this person is going to be a rock star in a couple of years. And they just were afraid to step into their truth. They're afraid to step into the, who they were. What do you say to those people? I would say, wow, if you are a physician, <laughs> that is one of the hardest things to do. You made it through medical school and residency. Everything else is cake. Everything else, right? So if you want to do it, you just have to set the intention and actually do it just like you did it in medical school. So what are your biggest challenges in getting this message out and becoming the thought leader to thought leaders so that the physicians can discover your amazing formula? 
Let's see, I think I've got all the ingredients right. It just launched on March 5th and I'm already doing bulk orders. Like the American Nurses Association just bought a hundred books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fantastic, you're on the right track, yeah. aren't you? Exactly. Yeah, so if you had to give your message to everybody in a sentence, what would that billboard say or what would that uh, banner flying over the uh, cloud say? 90% of people have the ability to be thought leaders. Are you going to set that intention to do it for yourself? Do you want to be extraordinary? And then yeah. is there, besides your wonderful book, I don't, I've never seen anything quite like your book, but is there any other type of books that influenced you in creating this? Oh, yes. Uh, Adam Grant. He is fantastic. So he's, uh, I, I, he wrote a book called Give and Take. And it's about givers and takers, and it's a sociology book. Or and, and this is not an area I've ever spent a lot of time studying. And so he breaks it down to the world of being people are givers, takers, or matchers. And I really set my formula almost on the top of the fact that you really need to be a giver in order for this to work, because a lot of it is about networking and who you know. And and this is true with a lot of different industries. And so. If you are helpful and generous with your time and effort for people, it's going to come back to you in many, many ways. Give before you take and give before you ask. Yep, and, and again, I'm speaking to the right audience here because if you are doctors, I mean, you have dedicated your life to helping people already. So, you know, you're pretty much there. <laughs> I'm just gonna ask you one last question and I can't wait to do our next interview. But this last question is, if you could wave a magic wand that could sort of fix primary care and by extension healthcare, you see a lot going on out there because of the world that you and I walk in. What would you do to, uh, is there any simple solution to fix what's going on in primary care today? There is no simple solution for anything in, in our $3 trillion industry of healthcare. But what I do like is, what I would like to see is offloading a significant number of tasks that don't have to do directly with interacting with the patient and getting those off the doctor's plates. Because I don't believe that doctors should be messing around with the EMRs the way they have to all this time and, and working on paperwork and stuff like that. I think there should be someone else on the team that takes care of that because I want that time with my doctor. Anytime I see an article that suggests a solution of having a scribe, just hire a scribe. I look up the scribe fees and taxes, they're about the same price as the profit per hour that a primary care physician makes. So they can take away all their profits and give it to the scribe, or they can just try to do, keep on being a secretary. Is there any last words that we should uh, ask you about, about thought leadership that the world should know, and then uh, we will let you go? Just that I think, you, you know, go ahead and take those first steps, because what it is, is it's a step-by-step -step process. And in order to be a thought leader, you need to begin. Thank you very much, Robin. We'll look forward to uh, talking to you again very soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.